are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about scouting. Um, I got a, I don't even remember which white, I think it was the doe that I shot uh, back in, I guess that was in early November. And one of the one of the comments on the post, and I, I apologize, I don't remember who it was, but they asked me the question, was it pre-scouted or did I go in blind? Or sometimes, you know, people refer to it as running gun, which I really don't care for that term, but that's that's kind of the popular term for it. Um, and if for anyone listening that may not know the difference real quickly, um, pre-scouting just means that you spent time, usually it's referred to as spending time outside of hunting season in preparation for the coming season to identify a spot where you might want to hunt. Um, and I'll t- I'm going to try to talk about a l- few different reasons or situations where pre-scouting can be better and where uh, going in blind can be better as we go through this. But anyway, they asked that question and I just was thinking about it and I've thought about it a couple of times since then thought it would make for a, a decent episode. Don't know how long this will run, maybe 20 minutes, maybe a half hour, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, regarding the pre-scouting uh, versus going in blind or again, running gun, whichever you want to call it, I like referring to it as going in blind. Um, I use both. Um, I think uh, a mix is probably the best approach. If I'm looking at it from a perspective of why I like pre, I'm a, let's do this. I'm gonna go through and give you my my pros to both pre scouting and going in blind, and I may or may not throw in any cons because I really don't I don't know that there are any cons to either one, with the exception of maybe time of the year. Um, as far as pre scouting, I love to scout. It's to me, it's in some ways more enjoyable than actually hunting. It's at least as enjoyable to me. Uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, primarily, it's more time in the woods. I mean, I love spending time in the woods. Here in Georgia on public land, I can even carry my longbow while I'm scouting up until the end of the month of February. Uh, small game season is in. So I could take rabbits and squirrels. Uh, more importantly, a lot of the WMAs in my area actually have huntable populations of, of wild hogs. Now it's rough terrain. It's not easy to hunt them. And in many years, I think I've, I think I've shot one, uh, in North Georgia public land while, while scouting slash hog hunting. Uh, so it's, it's not easy. But again, it just gives me the chance to be out in the woods. I always carry one or two blunts or judos or ace blunts, and I I stump shoot while I'm out there too. So I honestly have a ton of fun pre-scouting in the off-season. I approach my pre-scouting a couple of different ways. There will be some days, especially on a, a new track of land maybe that I haven't hunted, I may just get out and walk. And I am using my GPS. I am looking at topo maps as I go, but I don't really have a plan before I get there other than to cover a lot of ground. 
I don't do that much anymore unless it's just a uh, an unscheduled thing. Maybe I'm I'm doing something else in the area and I see you know or I know about the WMA and I just I may go do it quick uh, or spend a half a day and I really don't have any preparation for my scouting. In most situations, I have a plan before I ever park my vehicle. I will spend time studying topo maps. I will spend time studying satellite imagery from every source that I can get, whether that's Google or Bing or some of the other services that offer the the aerial uh, imagery because it changes. And depending on where they're using, getting their source videos and how how recently it's been updated, uh, you can you can minimize the chance that you're going to show up at a place thinking it's going to be great, only to find that it was timbered last year or whatever the case may be. And I typically start with topo maps. Uh, I'm looking for, in this situation for pre-scouting, I'm typically looking for terrain features, terrain funnels, um, things that I know have been productive for me in the past. And I know whitetails use them. The two biggest ones are saddles and benches that those two for me are kind of the the biggest thing I look for. There are other features that you can look for and start thinking about thermal hubs, but I I typically don't hunt those a lot. I will actually go in and scout them because it a lot of times in these thermal hubs you'll find a lot of uh, rub activity, uh, scrape activity, that kind of thing. But they're really hard to hunt. Uh, thermals can really mess you up. You can do it in the afternoon, or if you've got a fairly strong wind, sometimes you can get away with it. But it, to me, it's just uh, it's a greater chance of of really spooking you know animals out. And I just maybe I should push the boundaries a little bit, but I I really just don't do it a whole lot. Maybe that's something I'll try to do uh, in the coming year or two. I we'll see. But benches and saddles are my big one. If you don't know what those are, um, real quickly, a saddle is typically where two or more uh, ridges kind of come together in a low point. And a lot of times that that low valley between two or more uh, ridges give whitetails and other animals the easiest path to get from one side of the of the ridges or ridge to the other. Um, depending on the saddle, it can be a really narrow funnel and is good for hunting. Uh, but for most saddles I found for at least for hunting with traditional gear, the saddles are too, they're too broad. And I typically will look at the saddles and try to judge based on the amount of traffic where I can set up off to one side or the other on the edges or on the outside of that, that saddle uh, and typically, I, I have better luck that way. Um, and it's hard to explain some of this in a in a, a podcast. I might do some videos on this over the winter. I really want to get started doing more video content and and thinking or hoping maybe that I'm going to be able to do that some come winter and spring. But anyway, uh, and a bench is if you're looking at the side of a of a ridge. Uh, as you, as you, if you, if you're at the top of the ridge and you start walking straight down that ridge towards the valley below, a lot of times you will find these little 
uh, shelves. So the in most cases, the ridge isn't straight down. It'll it'll go down a little ways, and then you'll have a little flat area that flattens out, and then it'll drop off again. That is a bench. And some in some areas, you can have more than one bench on a on a given ridge. Uh, and almost in all cases, if you look at those benches, you're going to find well used and well defined trails. And in some cases, you can even find bedding along those ridges. So, or those benches, excuse me. So, I use those a lot, and it's probably one of the things that I scout the most uh, in in pre scouting are those ridges. Now, at the same time, I'm also looking for food sources or potential food sources for the following year. High emphasis on white oaks. Uh, although, in all honesty, I've never really had a ton of luck hunting white oaks. I tend to have more luck and and see more whitetails once the white oaks, uh, or the, excuse me, once the white oaks have started trailing off and the red oaks are either dropping or have been dropping and, you know, the, the tannins have, have leached out of those. For some reason in the area I hunt, the deer just seem to like red oaks better. Northern red oaks, blackjack oaks, those kind of, those kind of oaks. And then later in the season, water oaks and pin oaks. Those, um, I have had success. They are a white oak, but they're not the white oak most people are talking about when they, when they show pictures of acorns and talk about hunting white oaks. Uh, persimmons is another good one here where I hunt. And I'm also looking at late season food sources, things that a lot of people don't pay a lot of attention to. Privet, Chinese privet here in the South is a, a deer magnet come early December through the end of the season. Um, a lot of times in those privet thickets, there's an abundance of honeysuckle. The other thing these privet and honeysuckle thickets do uh, is they provide a lot of cover. They're, they're generally very thick and the whitetails use them uh, a lot uh, in my experience. And you'll also have green briar running through those as well. But, uh, you know, this already this season, I'm, I'm pretty much seeing deer just now have already moved off to browse and, you know, they'll, they'll eat grasses and so forth if they can get them in fields and, and right aways, those kind of things. Uh, but that's really the things I'm looking for. I will spend some time looking for bedding, uh, doe bedding and buck bedding, but I'm not a, I'm not the type of hunter that I try to target a buck or, uh, a specific deer based on when, where they're bedding. I, you know, I like knowing where it's at. I, I love finding them. I think it's very cool, but it's not something that I really focus in on. I'm, I'm more of a, I look for locations with that I feel like I'm going to see a high volume of animals, not necessarily one specific animal. Uh, let me think. Other things that I think are good about pre-scouting, uh, typically it's less impactful to actual hunting locations because you're doing it you know, in the off-season. I try to get most of my scouting done, usually by turkey season here in Georgia, which is somewhere around the April time frame. By that point, the, the leaves are starting to come in, the woods are getting thicker, and you really don't have the visibility that you, you had in the winter months anyway. And I do think the animals need some time off and they're getting ready to get hammered by turkey hunters. And then once turkey season's over, I try not to go in the woods at all. Um, if I have any cameras that are out, they stay out. I don't, I don't go check them. Uh, I will typically in those situations, 
if I'm going to uh, hunt an area nearby, I may grab the camera the first time I'm in there hunting, but I don't, I just don't visit cameras. It's, it's, it's bad for my hunting opportunities and it's just not good for the animals. Like I said, they, especially on public land, they, they need a breather. Uh, so, you know, once, once turkey season hits, I'm pretty much done with scouting. And I, I typically don't turkey hunt though. Sometimes I will get out and, and hunt hogs during turkey season. And of course, if I am, I do have my eyes open and I am thinking about, uh, whitetail season and looking for, um, any potential sign that I may have missed or that kind of thing. Pre-scouting to me also helps an individual figure, figure out the big picture. So it's not just about, you know, looking at, um, again, going in blind, looking at specific terrain features or, or things you see in a, a satellite image, uh, looking at, you know, potential hunting pressure or potential bedding, th- bedding locations, that kind of thing. And going in the, the pre-scouting can help you put a much bigger part of that puzzle together, locating travel corridors between food sources, locating, you know, the bedding and actually getting a, a visual that, that the bedding is being used, uh, thinking about, uh, wind patterns and thermal patterns and when the animals may use a certain bedding location versus, uh, when they wouldn't use that bedding location. and Putting all of that together, um, pre-scouting really helps it a lot. Uh, the other thing, and this isn't so much pre-scouting as it is a lot of times locations that I've quote pre-scouted are areas I've hunted in the past that were productive. Uh, unless something changes or I feel like something major has changed, many of those locations are going to be, they're going to be good regardless. So you don't need to go and check on them. Uh, a prime example, the doe that I started this discussion talking about, that animal was taken in a location that is just a high traffic area. The deer are going to move through that unless something major happens to change that. Uh, hunting pressure can do that. However, in this location, it gets very little hunting pressure. So I don't, I don't worry about it. Um, and I think based on what I've seen, there is hunting pressure fairly nearby and these animals are using this specific spot as a way to avoid those hunters. So I try to minimize my impact on it. I've only hunted it twice this year. I will hunt that spot one more time. Um, when, when my buddy Tom is down here hunting with me, uh, next week. But other than that, I will, I'll hunt it next week and I will not go back to that spot until next year. And I will only hunt it three times next year, maybe four. Uh, cause I didn't hunt it early season this year and I really would have liked to, it just, it just didn't pan out. Um, keep in mind that when I say pre-scouting, I'm somewhat excluding, uh, in season scouting. Well, I guess that is quote pre-scouting, um, in most situations, if you're hunting, if you're scouting during season, you're actually looking for a spot, you're immediately going to hang and hunt. Uh, hunting food sources, if you're a, you know, that's a, that's a big deal. If you're going to hunt specifically, uh, over a food source, you have to find a hot food source. I, I do some of that. I do take advantage of it. Uh, I have been successful at it. I would say I've probably been more successful hunting natural funnels and travel corridors than I have specific food locations. 
but I know, I know there's a lot of people that are very successful at it. And if I'm being perfectly honest, um, I feel like I do well enough with the way I hunt that I haven't put forth as much effort as I probably should or could have to get better at, at locating, identifying and hunting, you know, food sources that change on a, you know, a daily, weekly basis. They're, they're hot for a few days and then they're, then they go, they go quiet again. Uh, I would love to spend more time in the woods with, with RC or Chris Spike, somebody like that, that, you know, that is the way they hunt. It's just a, it would add more, uh, to my tool belt, uh, I guess, you know, to, to approach it the way those guys do, which I've just never done. So I think that'll wrap up pre-scouting again. I, I really don't have any cons The you know, as long, the only con I could potentially see it, I know people do this and I do it uh, before I say this, I do this some, but I typically do it from my vehicle. And that is, you know, there's a lot of people that get out and they scout for mast during late summer before season. I try to avoid that. If I may ride around in my vehicle with, you know, some, I think I've got some, uh, 11 power binoculars and, and from the truck, I will scan, you know, trees in the, in the general area, but I don't, I don't necessarily get out and walk looking at food trees throughout the woods. It's just, I try to stay out of the woods when it's getting close to season. Uh, and likewise, if you haven't scouted in, uh, and most people don't scout during the winter, then a lot of times, you know, people are out scouting a month before season. And I, I honestly just don't want the animals to know I'm going to be in there the first time I go in and hunt a location. So I, again, that goes back to why I stop when I do, you know, in, in the April, early April to May timeframe. I just don't want to, I don't want to disturb the woods. So I stay out, but I know a lot of people do. If you do and you've been successful, not telling you to stop. I'm just telling you why I don't do that. So, um, from there, a little bit more around the, um, quote, going in blind running gun, whichever floats your boat. First thing I will say is that is a very challenging way to seek out success. In my opinion, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it takes, it takes time. It takes a lot of effort. Uh, I know my buddy, Jason Samkoviak, uh, traditional bow hunting wilderness podcast. If you don't know, um, I know Jason primarily hunts going in blind. Um, and he's, he's very successful at it. And again, I've done it. I've been successful at it, but I don't solely focus on that. Just like I don't solely focus on uh, pre-scouting. I, I like to do a mix and I'm sure Jason does too. I don't want to, I don't want to pigeonhole Jason into a, uh, a very small uh, category. I'm, I'm pretty sure he hunts some spots he's hunted in the past, but that is, if you, if you, if that's your primary method, it's challenging. Um, and then if you're, if you've never done it before and you start trying to do it, you're probably going to have a lot of failures, especially early on. Uh, there's, there's always the chance that no matter how much you look at topo maps, how much you look at satellite imagery, when you get to the location you've picked out, it's going to be nothing like you expected. Uh, I found places that I went in that had been clear cut the very summer that I was trying to hunt it. I have gone into places where I found there was, um, 
a road that wasn't marked anywhere real close to where I was hunting uh, houses. Those two don't necessarily bother me, depending on how close. Uh, oh, hiking trails. That's another one. I've, I've actually gone in before and found that I was really, the spot I'd picked out was really close to, in some cases, even on a hiking trail. Now, I'm not going to hunt on a hiking trail, but if it's, if it's uh, close enough to a hiking trail that I can easily access, I can hunt it safely. I'm not going to have people walking by the trail, pointing up the tree at me, that kind of thing. If, you know, if I'm, if I'm a good distance away, some of those places can be really good. Deer get used to the people. They know what those people do. They know where they stay on the trails and they will use that area in some cases, even more, I won't say more frequently, but it'll look like they're using it a lot more than they are the open, the open woods. They, they know, they know they're safe. How? I don't necessarily know, but they, they know they're safe. I've got a, I've got a piece of public land that I hunt quite frequently and I access it through a hiking trail. And I'm actually in some cases hunting 60 yards off that hiking trail and see quite a few animals they get used to what is going on in their surroundings. And yes, they will still know if something's different. If they detect you in that tree, 60 yards, 70 yards, a hundred yards from where they're used to the people being, yeah, they're going to be out of there quick. They, they're, they're not going to put up with intrusion, but I guess I'm just saying they get used to people. You might get away with a little more in the way of scent uh, maybe a little bit more in the way of uh, noise as you're going in and, and getting set up, that kind of thing. Uh, but they don't they don't avoid it is what I guess I'm trying to say. So don't discount it unless the spot that you located is just completely disrupted by whatever you find. But there is some of that, and it's it can be frustrating. Um, I would tell you what I do, and I'm almost positive Jason does the same thing. I never just have one spot, especially if I'm going in blind. I have a couple of spots picked out. I, I kind of rank them. This is my favorite. This is where I want to hunt, and I'll wait for the right wind to hunt it. But I'll also have a couple of places nearby that I can adjust to if needed. Uh, and a lot of times those mornings after I climb, I may sit there, it gets good light, and I see something that makes me say, you know, I need to move. And I may climb back down and move my stand 20, 30 yards. Uh, so, you know, keep that in mind if you approach the uh, going in blind scenario. And I apologize if you hear a cat, it's Amy's cat. Amy's cat, her name is Wilma. She loves to come in the room now when I'm recording. So the mic may pick it up. And so now everyone meet Wilma. Uh, another thing that I really like about the going in blind uh, option is there is less chance of being patterned by deer. Uh, when I go in and hunt a spot um, going in blind, I'm usually, I hunt it and I'm out. The only time I might do more than that is if I'm, I may be able to hunt it in the afternoon pack out my bottom stick or bottom two sticks and I'll go back and hunt that the next morning. But when I leave it, the set that if I do that, when I leave the next day, I'm bringing everything back with me. And depending on what I see, I might be back later that year. I may not be back until the next year. I may never go back, but I don't, I don't hunt it repetitively. So I know the, you know, the deer are not patterning me and I can even go in and hunt an area close to that. 
on subsequent days. And it's, it, again, it's almost impossible for them to pattern you if you're just doing the, the going in blind, the being very mobile. Um, sometimes it's the only option. Uh, sometimes pre-scouting, it would be difficult or you would waste valuable limited hunting time, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but I know, you know, hunting Wyoming, I did a lot of cyber scouting before I got there. Uh, Michigan, a lot of scouting before I've, I've gone into the state. Now I've hunted Michigan a couple of times now and I've actually been able to do some scouting while I was hunting. Uh, so I, you know, I wouldn't say in most situations there, I'm going in blind anymore. I'm just fine tuning. Um, and I may find a spot that I've never been to that I want to try, which would be blind, but I haven't done a lot of that. I've hunted enough. I know the areas that have, you know, I've seen deer and I typically kind of focus in on those for the most part. Um, North Carolina this year, I did not, I I didn't have a chance to scout it. I have hunted the, the area I was hunting a lot in the past, but it's been over 20 years and some things have changed. Some things have not changed. And, you know, the last time I hunted that property, I was primarily, uh, uh, I won't say, well, I'll say for the most part, when I hunted that property, I was primarily a gun hunter, completely different. I had never hunted with, um, a longbow on my dad's property and had never hunted with a muzzleloader. Uh, well, maybe, but if I did, it was, like I said, been over 20 years. So, you know, I did a little bit of scout, cyber scouting for that. My brother and I walked through, uh, the property I grew up on before, I don't remember if it was before season or maybe right after season it started. So, I mean, I did a combination of that, uh, for North Carolina, but bottom line is there's going to be times when you have a limited amount of time to hunt. And maybe you're getting, you know, you're driving into the location and you're getting there the night before. And what are you going to do the next morning? Are you going to spend time scouting, which some people do? Or are you going to pick a spot where you feel like based on your knowledge, you feel like there's a good chance that you'll see whitetails and you can fine tune as you go. For me, that's the better option because I want to be hunting. If, you know, if I do that for a day and I don't see anything, then the next day, yeah, I might get out and scout. I may scout midday. I may not sit in the stand all day. I may scout some midday. But in most situations, if I'm going to scout on a short trip out of state, I'm either going to pre-scout it. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm going to cyber scout it so I can go in blind or I'm going to do that maybe in the mornings and then grab my stand, have it on my back, do some scouting during the day and hang and hunt when I find something that, that looks promising. Uh, but I don't really see any negatives to the mobile, um, mobile approach with the exception of equipment. And the reason I say that a lot of times when people talk about pre-scouted locations, they're pre-scouting it. They're hanging stands ahead of season. They're getting everything ready. And all the thing they have to carry in with them is their weapon. Um, if they need some additional clothes to stay warm during the day and maybe water and, and some food or snacks, you know, that kind of thing. I don't do a lot of that. So when I say I am pre-scouting, I am pre-scouting. I'm marking locations on my GPS, saving those locations. And when I go in, I'm treating it as a, uh, 
a going in blind in, a, in the sense that I'm carrying my stands, my sticks, my safety harness, my weapon, uh, cleaning kit, GPS, everything that I need for that hunt. I'm carrying it in as I go and I'm taking it out. If not the day, the next morning, I will bring all of that back out with me. Um, in very few situations will I hang a stand and leave it. Uh, if Nick's coming down or somebody's coming down, like Tom's coming down, I've got a couple of stands that I've, I've hunted and left in the, uh, trees over the last month for Tom to hunt, but I don't typically do a lot of that. So, but some people do. And if you're, if you're pre-scouting, if you've got you know, private land that you hunt and you've pre-scouted that, you know where you're going to hunt. There's nothing wrong with hanging the stands. I just don't, I want to make sure I'm not confusing people that that's not really what I'm talking about. In any given year from pre-scouting, I may have 60 to a hundred locations that I may think about hunting and probably more, to be honest. I never get through all of them, but I want to have plenty of locations in the event that you know, I walk in on somebody or somebody's walking in ahead of me, or I find something that just makes me think my assumption was wrong. Um, get to a location and the wind's wrong and I have to relocate. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I have more, more locations than I can ever hunt, but it's always better to have more than not enough. Um, so anyway, I may have rambled here a little bit. I'm trying to kind of think about this. I didn't really throw any any notes together. So if I did ramble, if there's a few more ums and ahs in there, that's just me trying to think about things before I before I speak, before I say them. Uh, bottom line, I don't say there's a best approach. If there is a best approach, it's a mix. Anytime you can add more tools to your toolkit, you're going to have more success more frequent success. And I'd use both of them just as a, as a tool, as an approach. I, I, I use both. I do both. And again, I also, um, do some of the, you know, scouting as I'm going in looking for a, you know, a hot food tree, that kind of thing. Um, there is no, there is no wrong method. Uh, there's wrong ways to do it, but there is no wrong method. So anyway, I really was just sharing some thoughts here. Uh, I hope Maybe this has helped somebody. Maybe it's clarified some things, kind of got someone in, in my head, as scary as that may be. And if you've got questions, you've got thoughts, something I didn't think to add, you want to insert, as always, shoot me an email. I love hearing from people. I've gotten a few emails over the last couple of days. I didn't sit down and, and take time to to put some notes together around those, but uh, I will I will mention those folks in the in the next episode, give some people some shout outs. I love hearing from you. Email is bowhunterga at gmail.com. You can also message me on uh, Facebook, Instagram, wherever is convenient for you. Until next time, take care, everyone, and I wish you all the best in the field. Take care, all.